Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray and with Don Keithley, my friend from Houston, Texas, who welcomed me and my wife, Kitsy, with open arms several years ago when we flew down to Texas and wanted to see if he was the real deal because, you know, we'd heard him on TV and, well, on the Internet and thought, boy, this sounds good, but I wonder if it's all smoke and mirrors. And uh, he and Dr. Cecil Cockerham met us, took us out to dinner and wined us and dined us without the wine. I think he was afraid I might be a not the type of person who would have a glass of wine, but we found out since uh, differently that we'll do that or a margarita or whatever. Uh, I still don't smoke cigars like some of you guys, but... <laughs> I got way off track there. But Don is, among other things, is just a great teacher. It's a wonderful gift that he has. And you guys are going to hear this uh, and watch this interview after the current series he's doing is done. But every once in a while, he stops the bus and goes back and hits some fundamentals. And Don, it, it seems to me that there are two main reasons why people are so attracted to what's going on here. One is the goodness of God, which is in contrast to the badness of God that religion has portrayed. And the other is just seeing it manifest in people's lives, seeing the joy and the grace and the forgiveness and the understanding that people have when they come into this understanding of our oneness and union with God. That seems to me to be what's really attractive. What are your thoughts on that? You know, when you come into grace, there's a lot of pressure that's taken off of your life Mm -hmm. because longer have to perform. I think we've developed a lot of hypocrisy in the church because we have set a level based on performance and based on behavior that nobody can meet. So when we go to church, we present this perfect picture that we're living this life, but when we get home, we know that's really not us. So what grace does, the freedom that grace brings is, hey, I can just be me. If I smoke a cigar or have a drink of wine, that doesn't change anything. I can be free to do that. I don't have to. I was thinking when you were talking, I was thinking about a guy that I used to have in church and he smoked cigarettes. And whenever I would go to see him, he had a garage and I would go to see him. He'd put the cigarette behind his back and the smoke would be furling up over his (laughs) I couldn't tell that he was smoking, right? I mean, I could care less if the guy was smoking a cigarette. It didn't bother me. It didn't have a relationship with him. But he felt that when he came to church, you know, he presented himself in a particular way. But when I saw him outside of church, he had the cigarette behind him. So grace alleviates that. I'm one of the guys that smoke cigars. Steve McVeigh got me started on that. You know, he's a bad influence. Don't, you know, don't get around me. Or Baxter. Baxter got me started on Fireball. But see, I can say that now, and when I was pastoring for years, I never would have said that. Even if I smoked a cigar now, then I never would have said I did. I never would have wanted anybody to know I did. Right. So grace brings that freedom. 
And when people in religion see that you are free, but you still have this intimate relationship with the Father, that you still love to read the Word, you can still talk about Scripture, you can still fellowship with people, but there's no air to you, this religious air is gone, you're just yourself because you're free to be yourself, it becomes very attractive to people. And people then begin to ask you, what's going yeah. on? In your, why are you a little different? There's something about you that I can't explain. So evangelism is no longer giving somebody four spiritual laws, take them down the Romans road, asking them if they died and stood before God. And he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? It now just becomes a glorious sharing of what they already possess and who they already are that maybe they're not aware of. Not everybody has this knowledge, the scripture says. Not everybody fully embraces because their eyes are closed, but they're opening slowly. And when they get around a grace person, it's like all of a sudden they catch this air of freedom and they want to have the same freedom. And that's why it's moving yeah. so fast in the world. People, I don't think, want to be religious, but they are spiritual. Yeah, absolutely. So you still have a spiritual frequency to you, but you're not religious. It really taps in and it resonates with people. Oh, it does so much. It's so well said. We used to teach that, well, when you get saved, if you're going to be a good Christian, you've got to give up all of these different things, whether it's smoking or having a drink or whatever. I'm coming to see that we're now free to give up things like judging. Uh, <laughs> that's one That's one of the greatest things. And, you know, when people see, just like you said, talked about the guy with the cigarette, when people see that that doesn't bother us, that we're not going to judge them, it, that, that it, it literally doesn't make any difference. I mean, yeah, probably going to kill them because they're smoking cigarettes, but, but it's not a moral thing to judge them for. That's not only freeing to us, but it, it, frees them to relate to us without any pretense. And there's a lot to be said for that. Religion taught us so much, like they would rather die than smoke a cigarette, but backbiting and gossip was okay. Throwing <laughs> yeah, yeah. discord in church, that's okay. That's yeah. One of the seven things that Proverbs said God hates is somebody that sows discord among the brothers. But that's pretty yeah. acceptable in church. But over here, dancing, is that's a no-no. You can't yeah. go dancing. But yeah. you can do these other things. And so we just have such a skewed vision on what it really means yeah. to demonstrate the gospel. But now we're demonstrating the good news. Yeah, we There's are. The no bad news. Yeah. I want to talk about those seven deadly things because the uh, I call him Papa. Uh, but Papa and Jesus, Grace, have been showing me some things uh, about that. And, and this is something that I've come to see as permeates really all the people that I've interviewed that I'm featuring in this book, when it says one of the things that God hates is lying lips. Now, we all know that, of course, you're going to get in trouble if you tell lies. You, you know, you're, you're going to hurt people. I think there's a much deeper thing there. I think what God hates is lips that lie about the character of God. Yes. And, and people who say, well, yeah, God's love, but or God's, you know, he, he just can't do anything but burn you forever if, if, you know, if you don't say the magic words. Those, to me, are the lying lips that God hates. Does that sound right to you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have created a God after our image and likeness, and it's not been anything that Jesus presented. So I think evangelical Christianity in the general has a lot of repenting, mind-changing, 
mm-hmm. to do in the perception they have of God. I mean, the two main things about the Father to me is he's, first of all, he's relational. Everything mm-hmm. he does build relation. And the mm-hmm. second thing, his character is love. Nothing he does can be outside of that. It's not that one piece of the pie is judgment, one piece is vindictiveness, one is wrath, and one piece is love. The whole crust is love that holds the whole pie together. And getting a right perception of the Father, I mean, let's be honest, the way that we see God affects the way we see life. It affects the way we see ourselves. It affects the way we see other people. It affects the way we see circumstances that arise in our life. So if we don't see him correctly, it messes everything in our life up. So Jesus came to give us the right perception. Nobody before yeah. Jesus had the right perception of the Father. Isaiah yeah. didn't, didn't. Jesus is the only one that said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, which is a precious claim. So yeah. I that when he said that, he, I mean, he's telling us the truth. So he's the prototype, image, yeah. reflect Father. Anything other that varies from that, to me, is lying lips. And one of the verses that I had never, ever thought about, I learned through Global Grace Seminary, and the impact of it is First uh, John four seventeen. As Jesus is in the world, so are we. Yeah, he, he wasn't an example for us. He's an example of us. And oh, man. I spent a whole year on that verse back in the 90s before I ever came into grace. How many times do we read the Bible and miss verses like that? <laughs> and it stuck out to me one time. And I did a whole year on, I would take, how is he? And then I would relate it to us being exactly the same. It, it stirs people up because to them, it's like you're bringing Jesus down. But you're not really bringing you're bringing to the position that you were intended to live, which is a, a, an exact reflection. And he's living as you. I used to live for Jesus. Boy, that was tough. A lot of works involved. I was living, <laughs> it was a hard job. And then I went through a charismatic phase where he was living through me. You know, and I wanted mm-hmm. to keep the vessel clean, wanted to get into the gifts. He's living through me. But now with grace, he's living as us. There is no separation. That's an entirely different ballgame than living for Jesus. It is. I'm going to go off on a little rabbit trail here, but I really want to share this with you and with our listeners. Our 16-year-old grandson lives with us. He and his mom, our daughter, her husband and his dad died in 2009 of cancer when he was 29 years old. And so they've lived with the sense, and it's just been a, a wonderful arrangement and wonderful situation. And our grandson has autism, and he's a wonderful guy. He's, he's got a great heart. He's just a wonderful guy. He doesn't see things. He doesn't relate socially necessarily as other people do. And it's easy for him to get angry at things that he doesn't understand. Full confession, it's easy for me to get angry at things I don't understand. But one of the things that I've learned from our friend who I also write about in the book, Mike Popovich, one of the things that I've learned to do, actually, this part I got from Malcolm Smith, but I've learned to visualize my grandson. I do this every morning and pray as him, like the kinsman redeemer go well thing. I just say, Jesus, thank you for teaching me about that. This is Irwin coming to you now. And what I do, Don, is I say, Jesus, you live in me and you live as me. So today, when things happen that would normally frustrate me or make me angry, I know that with you living as me, 
I'm going to handle a lot better. And I go through several things like that. You wouldn't believe the difference it's made in his life. It's just, I, oh, I'm getting goosebumps, Jesus bumps, just thinking about it. But that uh, not only Jesus living as us, but for those, the whole visualization process, which, which you talk about too, being co-creators, but us being able to do that for others who aren't necessarily able to do it for themselves. Whoa. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that, that's a whole dimension that we've stayed away from because we thought it's a little bit new age yeah. or something we hadn't really explored. But when you really begin to get into Scripture, our imagination is a divine tool of creation. And you can create, I mean, you're creating in your imagination and empowering with your words what Jesus would do. I think Jesus yeah. would exactly the same as you're acting. So when he's living as you or you're living as him or the two of you are in such an inseparable mm-hmm. union, you don't know where he stops and you begin or you stop and he begins. It's just yeah. all one. And yeah. that has an effect on things like you're doing, has a profound effect on the way that you pray, on the oh. way that you I mean, it's an entire life. My prayer life is totally different than it used to be, totally. So running conversation all day long. Oh, yeah. I I no longer waste time asking God to show up. No. Boy, I'd like to have that. (laughs) Oh, me too. But these are the things, Don, that people see in the lives of the people that I feature in this book. And many of them have written books too, like Robin Smith, who went to Global Grace. And she's now really got a great understanding of quantum. And she's written some books. So have a lot of other people, people like Keith Stanton, who leads this church for homeless people uh, called The Refuge in Clearwater. People who are just delightful to be with, each of whom has a little different emphasis in their ministry, you know, a little different understanding of things. Many are still full-time in the workforce, like Keith is, for example. Others, like Robin, are able to spend time because of other income their family has and stuff. Some people, not very many, but some people, just a few of us, uh, still actually have a church, although it certainly is unrecognizable to the church world. But there's just such a plethora of—well, it's, it's like God, you know. It's multifaceted. So many different people with little different ways of going about things, but with the core things that hold us together, all manifesting Christ, Christ living as us. Uh, none of us doing that 100% of the time. But I love— connecting people together. And I don't know uh, Tommy Miller in Ohio, but I appreciate you mentioning him. I'm going to get to know him. Oh, you'll like Tommy. He's a very sharp young guy. He and his wife are doing a wonderful job. He just enrolled in Global Grace Seminary. You've mentioned it several times. So let me just say to the people, we developed Global Grace Seminary 10 years ago. The vision is that it would be the seminary for the Grace Tsunami, this Grace move that's taking place around the So if some of you that are listening would like to find out more about Global Grace Seminary for bachelor's degree with three or four majors, master's degrees, uh, we're coming out with just a certification program. If you just want to take one or two courses, you can do that. But it's a wonderful opportunity to hear what I feel are the best teachers in this movement in one place. I wish Global Grace Seminary had been around when I came into the grace movement. I don't need another degree, but I would have enrolled to take it 
just because of the concentration of material at one place. I had to get a book here, a teaching there, scattered all over. But here it's concentrated in one place, extremely affordable. It's work at your own pace. I just encourage people, if that has appealed to you at all, especially that are in ministry, I think that you'll come out of it much better equipped to verbalize the message and with a deeper understanding than what you could have grasped on your own. I mean, guys like Malcolm Smith, Baxter Kruger, I could go on and on and on. The guys that teach at the school, and I think it's cost efficient. It's good in every way. I don't know how much more I can really improve. We have students from 23 nations. So it is a worldwide seminary and we're yeah. fulfilling vision that we wanted. So I just let out globalgraceseminary.net, globalgraceseminary.net. You can get all the information you want about it. I highly recommend it. I was in that first class the month that it started and, uh, I was working full-time as a pastor then and got a bachelor's degree in grace theology in two and a half years. And I also want to say, now I can't guarantee this for everybody, but I want to say the people who teach, it's all online, are very accessible. Yes. I, you know, I was able to connect with every single one of them, initially Facebook friends or, or whatever, but many of them now I'm friends with, I call, I talk to, uh, we get together with, I've interviewed them, uh, podcast, and just, uh, there's no hierarchy. <laughs> no, not at all. That was what impressed me, coming out of religion into grace. That is what impressed me about the speakers I was starting to bring into the church, is that they were so accessible, they were so down to earth, so easy to talk to. I wasn't used to that. I was used to bringing somebody in and I had to pick them up at the airport with a limousine, put them in a certain hotel, make sure they had certain food in a gift basket for them, had to sign a contract, make sure they made so much from the offerings that came in. I went through that whole whole scenario for a lot of years. So when I had Steve McVeigh and Baxter and Francois, when they would come into the church, I mean, they were just so congenial and, and easy. It just opened up. It just made the grace message to me real. They put a reality to the message. So yeah, Global Grace, I think is a good place for a lot of people to really get their feet down. And if you've got a degree, you can go on and get a master's degree. And I think it'll stretch you real good, stretch you in the right way. Yeah, well, it does. All of this that we've been talking about for two episodes now, Don, I wasn't there, but it reminds me of my picture of the early church. Just small communities, people who were so impacted by Christ's love, the love of the Father, grace, inclusion, acceptance, which was just totally opposite than what religion had taught them. And it was so compelling, so attractive, so winsome that people, you know, it was kind of like a magnet. They came to it. And then other little towns and other little countries and things like that. And that's what I see happening now. Well, it grew to the point where they said that Paul had turned the world upside down. And I think we're going to see that same turning upside down of the world happening again. It's my goal, as many years as I got, is to push the ball down the field as far as I can take it and pass it to the next generation. And whether my generation sees the world turned upside down or the next generation does, I'm fully confident that this leaven is going to leaven the whole lump. And that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus really is the Christ. Well, if I was still in the church, I'd say, Amen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, Don, it's always so good. I didn't have a particular agenda other than from 
people to hear from you about what you see going on and to cast the vision of connecting, which I'm certainly hoping will happen in our book, Grace to All. Uh, of course, they'll be able to read about you in it. And then in the glossary, I've listed all the speakers and their websites, books that they've written where you can get them and courses that they have and things like that. And so I know that people will want to connect with you and with everybody else too. And, and I so appreciate you helping us make this possible. When will the book be out? Middle of April. It's coming in real quick. Yeah. And I met online this morning with uh, my publisher and uh, he's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And the proofreader editor is in California, just going over some things with them. And the guy's my publisher is just a great guy. And he mentioned this morning, he said, you know, he grew up in church and, you know, read his Bible and stuff, but this will be my fifth book that he's published. And he says, but now... I'm a grace guy. And he said, Paul's my teacher. And I listen to the people that he interviews and they're the people that are influencing me now. And I thought, well, uh, that's cool. That is. Yeah, it is. Well, tell folks again in closing, Don, how they can contact you and hear your teaching and those things. Well, we're all over YouTube. I think we have about 400 videos on YouTube. If you just punch in Don Keithley, they'll all start scrolling mm -hmm. down for you. You can catch me Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral. Just go to donkeithley.com and punch the live stream. Uh, Wednesday night, a secret place on the Don Keithley Ministry Facebook page. And I have a website, donkeithley.com. And you can follow me on Facebook. I think I'm about blown up. I stay at five. <laughs> I really can't get many. That's why the Don Keithley Ministry page, you can come over. We'll take all of you there. So there's multiple ways you can get me. If you go to the website, it'll open up everything for you, donkeithley.com. Just one quick little parting question. When you were growing up playing baseball on sand lots in Michigan, did you ever think at 75 years old you'd be reaching people all over the world for the goodness of God? I sure didn't. I sure didn't. My goal then was to be a baseball coach. I, that was, I went to college with that idea. It didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad it's worked out the way it has. It seems to me that might have been God's plan all along. But uh, <laughs> Don, thank you so much. Love you. I appreciate you being on, and I'll see you next time. Yes, sir. And thanks, everybody, for being a part of another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle. <laughs>